uh, what is the CAST? I know it's abbreviated, C-A-S-T. Right. Yeah. What does that stand it's, for? CAST is an acronym for Catch a Special Thrill. And that's what the Cast for Kids Foundations was started back way back in 1991. Really? Yeah, long. It's been around. This is our 31st year, so it's been a long time. And uh, it's you know the foundation's all about you know serving these kids with an opportunity to go fishing that they otherwise would never have. And and it's you know that's what we say our our mission statement is to enrich the lives of children with special needs and support their families and strengthen communities through the sport of fishing. Hey guys, thanks for joining in on episode 6 of the Hunter Fishes podcast presented by Stick 5. So glad to have y'all here and very excited to have the one and only Jay Ellis here with us. How are you doing, glad Jay? Glad to be here, Hunter. I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to be your guest. I, I just told Jay it's like bass fishing royalty. You know, Jay, you're a <laughs> you're a Hall of Fame, Bass Hall of Fame, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame member. You're a classic champion, a two-time FLW Angler of the Year, a Bassmaster Angler of the Year. Man, you've you've accomplished a lot in your life. I've been had a blessed career, you know. I've been... 35 years i think i fished professionally which is what i always wanted to do when i was growing up and i was able to 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 live it the dream so to speak for 35 years so i'm really grateful and you know god's really blessed the my the work out there that i was doing on the tournament trails and and it's something i always grew up loving was fishing and and, and i always enjoyed competing and the best thing about it's been all the people I've met over the years traveling the country. We've had, gosh, we've had fish tournaments just about every state that there is, and got friends all over the country, and just a lot of great people out there in America. So I'm really thankful for the friendships I've made, and and uh, been able to fish all these years. It's been wonderful. Now you're a West Coast guy. How hard is that from the West Coast to get into the the national fishing scene? You know, they went west some, but a lot of it is, say, Arkansas or Texas East is where most of the professional fishing goes down. Oh, almost all of it does. And so, yeah, growing up, I went to, uh, graduated from Oregon State way back in 1987, and I started my career on the West Coast at fishing the U.S. Open and the, all the circuits out there at the time i don't think many of them are around anymore u.s bass i'm going to date myself here <laughs> <laughs> the red man tournaments and west coast bass and sun country bass and and uh one bass western outdoor news is one bass that that's still going today but i'm yeah. actually familiar with that one. Are i'm you? not familiar with a lot of yeah. stuff out west right so they um so i did that for a couple years and then but to really make your living as a touring pro you need to fish bass at least that you know that's how it was back in the day back in the late 80s that right. was the only tour out there nationally so i moved to texas in 91 and i lived in texas 17 years to get my career going and to be able to have access to all the lakes you know be able to practice and whatnot and my wife and i moved to texas there in 91 and we lived on the shores of sam rayburn for seven years and then we moved up to tyler when my kids got in school you know started school and uh and so you know for the first 17 years of my career i lived 
pretty handy, you know, in East Texas, close to the tournament trail. And then we moved back home back in 07, so it's been, what, 15 years or so. So the first 20 years or so, the first two years of my career, I lived out west. And then the next 17 years, I lived in Texas. And then the last 15 years, I, li- I fished professionally from Oregon. So, and it's challenging from out there because you, I would, I never would drive it. I mean, I've done the drive a couple times, but I would le- actually leave my boat and truck and all my gear in Texas with at, uh, some family in Tyler, Texas every year. And I would just fly back and forth. So during the tournament season, these last 15 years, I would, uh, with all the folks that I've met over the years, I would just leave my boat wherever the next tournament was going to be with a friend and just fly home. Then I'd fly back and everything would be right there. I'd fish the tournament and then drive the next one and leave my boat with another friend somewhere and, and, uh, did that for 15 years and it worked pretty good you you see that with a lot of those west coast guys oh like yeah, a, yeah brandon polinick and several from california they, they yeah. leave them out you know all year their stuff's sitting in you know somewhere out east yeah, while they you, go home yeah, you, you can't do it no it's clifford perch is the only guy i know that he still drives back and forth to arizona after before and after each tournament really pulling the boat doesn't pulling, even leave yeah. the boat uh-uh i mean he'll leave a boat like a couple times a year but mostly he just commutes back and forth which is he's like that's like a, you got to be part truck driver to have that sort of <laughs> lifestyle you know but he'll he'll do that but most of the the other there's just a small handful of guys that compete on the national circuit from out west and they pretty much all do of like like what i've done and just fly back and forth did, when you moved to, or well, you didn't. Well, you did move. When you moved to Texas, did you guide or anything to kind of supplement, or did you just no? Turn I didn't. Fish? Yeah, I never have guided for any fishing in in my whole life. So I just tournament fished. When I first moved to Texas, I'd fished all kind of different small tournaments that were in between the Bassmaster. Back then, it was we had the Invitationals and then the top one hundred pro ams, and we'd fish all the the local tournaments at Rayburn and different places kind of in between to fill in the right. spots, but I, or I would out pre-fishing somewhere. There, there's always been quite a bit of local money to make fishing in Texas. Oh, yeah. There's always some, oh, yeah. you know, boats to give away. Still, yeah, still is. Yes. There's, yeah, there's a lot of fishing down there. So you were bass until what year did you leave? Okay, the so, um, we're, so I started with bass. I fished my first bass master in, 89 and then i fished bass all through 2000 the 2006 classic okay and then that's and when espn bought them correct no they time bought frame? bass in like a 2001 oh i'm off on my time yeah. <laughs> that's all right that's, a, that's a, quite a history lesson so for from like 02 to 05 i fished both circuits bass and flw oh okay I did that for three years, and those were actually ended up being my best three years of my whole career, probably because I was on the water nonstop All fishing both circuits. And then in 06, I left Bass to fish FLW, and I did that for, gosh, I, well, from 06 through 2018, so 12 years. And then the last four years, I fished the Elite Series and then just retired from all of that craziness last fall. And you, you retired pretty quietly. You did, you know, we we see here pretty recently. Kevin Van Dam said this is his last go around. He, he kind of mm-hmm. having a one year, you know, retirement tour or whatever. But you you just kind of disappeared, you know, from from the the whole fishing scene. What what made you decide to do that? 
to retire? Yes, and, and to do it the way you – I mean, Oh, the way I did it, that's just me. I just kind of – I don't like much fanfare and just like to just go about doing my thing, you know. And and uh, um, But I, I – the reason I retired was twofold. One is that I've been – after 35 years, um, it's – you know, that's a long time, and it wears on you. And it's – that's a long time to do any career, 35 years. And I – and the travel is it's, – it's rough – you don't realize it when you're competing because you're so focused on catching the fish that you don't really you just know the travel is just part of it you had to do it but now that i've stepped away from it and i look back i'm like man that was that's a hard way to make a living because you're gotta you're on the road all the time and uh and i i may you know it's good when you have good buddies and that you room with and stuff on the circuit and you you make the most of it, but it's still, it's still a hard way to make a living. And and so, but the other factor was um, the Cast for Kids Foundation that I've been running since 2015. That Cast for Kids is like four times as big as it was in 2015, and it's gotten to be, it's the demands all my time now if I'm going to you know do it justice, and it's grown so much and and. and We've got like nine employees now, and and it's you know we have we'll have about a hundred events around the country this year, wow. and so that's it's awesome, and so and that's really where my heart is now, and my passion is for you know cast for kids. We put on fishing events to uh, enrich the lives of children with special needs, and to celebrate them, and it's more of a kind of a ministry, and so I really am passionate about that, and I wanted to devote you know all my energy to grow in that and getting it as as big as it can possibly be so i so that's you know i kind of have just you know changed over time from uh, as a youngster being totally focused on bass fishing and treating it like i was like an olympic sport or something you know and really training for it putting all my effort into that and i know that's what it takes to be highly successful in bass fishing because it's so competitive Absolutely. And I know now, you know, working basically, I'm have another full time job, and I'm trying to compete. And I know that you just, you can't compete with the guys that are doing it full time. Then that's all they do is fish. And so, I, and that's where I was for decades. I mean, I've been there. I know what it takes to do well. <laughs> and I know that now my heart is more into serving these kids. And I just don't, I can't really sew into my fishing career to do it justice and put the time in so i uh those two reasons combined are the reason i decided to retire last at the end of last season on the elite series and and uh i'm glad i did i have you know i've been i haven't missed it so far and uh, even though we were watching those guys on bass live catching them down there in florida um in the as the new tournament season's gotten going it looked like a whole lot of fun down there they were having a good time the big ones were biting but I still, I'm, I'm very content and very pleased with my decision, and I'm really looking forward to growing the charity and, and giving more special needs kids an opportunity to enjoy this great sport that we call fishing. What, uh, what were your feelings when they kicked off day one of the elites, and for the first time in how three decades you were? Yeah, I was sitting playing, at I was the playing, house. I was playing fantasy fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was pulling for all my picks and fantasy fishing, but I. No, I was I was actually glad I was glad to uh, th- that I you know I was 
that I wasn't there and I was glad to be pulling for my buddies that were out there competing and and I've been to Okeechobee so many times I'll bet I fished 15 tournaments there over 35 years and it's just a it's a beautiful place and so much fun to be there it's probably my favorite fishery in Florida it's a I mean it's a paradise for a bass fisherman but I've I'm we got so many events coming down the pike with the foundation this year that it's uh that's where my focus is now, so I, I really didn't miss being there. Just almost a relief. And after all these oh, years. Yeah. And- I'm glad I didn't have to. I always would get my new boat at Skeeter every January and get it rigged and make that long. It's a 16-hour drive down to Okeechobee from, from uh, Kilgore, where the Skeeter factory is. And it's a long haul. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. What uh, I, I assume, you know, for me, I've got so many great friends on the tour that on the MPFL that it's like, I don't see them. You know, I may not talk to them that much during the winter, which I kind of, I kind of hibernate when deer season gets here. I don't talk to a whole lot of people, a whole lot. I just kind of disappear. But, but even, even after that, you know, except for leading up to and following an event, a lot of times I don't talk to those guys a bunch, but they're still great friends. And we pick up right where we left off. I I assume that will be probably something you miss the most is, Oh yeah, all your peers behind. Yeah, all the camaraderie and stuff. Yeah, I would. I used to room with Canna, Scott Canterbury for years. I mean, with FLW, like ten or twelve years, and before that, Mark Davis. You know, when I was fishing bass, and just and not just those guys. There's a whole bunch of good friends. You know, we'd have our Bible studies at every event at the Fellowship of Christian Angler meeting, and there's all them guys. I've known them all for years, and we keep in touch a little bit, texting and stuff. But yeah, they, I will miss them as time goes by. But you're right. Over the winter time, it's I'm I was like you. We wouldn't we'd check in about once a month or so, see how Christmas was and all that, and if we killed any deer. But other than that, you know, it's nice to get a little break from. Yes. from everything because once it gets going in this time of year it gets it's, it's wide open wide open that that's exactly that's that's what i tell everybody if i had to fish year round i i don't think i'd fish like i'd, I'd be so burned out <laughs> yeah. and if i could deer hunt year round i might not fish anyway but yeah, yeah, there you go it's a good balance between the two um a little more on this cast for kids what uh what does the cast i know it's abbreviated c-a-s-t what does that stand for cast is an acronym for catch a special thrill and that's what the cast for kids foundations was started back way back in 1991 really yeah long it's been around this is our 31st year so it's been a long time and uh it's you know the foundation's all about you know serving these kids with an opportunity to go fishing that they otherwise would never have and and it's, you know, that's what we say. Our, our mission statement is to enrich the lives of children with special needs and support their families and strengthen communities through the sport of fishing. So they're, they're an overlooked people group. People, people just don't talk about them much. And there's a lot of special needs people out in America, all over the world, really. And, they, and fishing is a sport that's for everybody to enjoy. And these kids just don't get an opportunity to do it. And so there's a few other small charities around the country that put on fishing events for special kids, but we're the biggest one. We'll have nearly 100 events around the country this year, and it's um, it's just a pure joy to serve those kids and give them a special day because they, they, otherwise they, they wouldn't go. They wouldn't have a chance. And we get a lot of families that have, um, you know, the kids are raised by their mom, and they'll have a little son that's special needs, and their mom doesn't know how to – 
give them an opportunity to go fishing. So they come out to a Cast for Kids event. They're totally free to the kids, and they get a fit. We give them a fishing rod and a tackle box and a bunch of T-shirts, hats, an award plaque with their photo in it, and uh, and they go fishing for about three hours, and then we have lunch, and then my favorite part's the award ceremony where each child gets that award plaque with their photo in it. They get called up to the front of the group, and everybody cheers for them. And, uh, That's awesome. And they uh, they get some of them are they're just so precious. I mean, some of them will get emotional. You know, it's a it's a major deal for them. And it, yeah, it is. You know, I. I uh, for seven years, I was actually the fundraiser or what, director of funding. I guess was my title for a nonprofit here locally in Arkansas, and all we did was take disabled folks hunting and fishing, more hunting than fishing, mm-hmm. and it wasn't wasn't just kids. But you know, I'm in a wheelchair, missing both legs, below the knees, and but that's just been life for me. Like I had never, yeah, I was so young when it happened. Like I just, I'm gonna hunt, I'm gonna fish. There's no if ands or buts around it. So I didn't think a whole lot of it. This was an organization I'd, I'd helped and, and been and been a participant in several times. And when I started actually getting to, to work for them and, and go on these hunts with them, you realize how many individuals don't get the opportunity. Like, I, I didn't get it. You know, I, I, I thought I did, but I didn't because I'm going to go. Like, if somebody doesn't take me fishing, I'm going to hook up my boat and go fishing. Same with hunting. But that... There's so many individuals that don't have that. If you're not there to give them the opportunity, they're not going to get to do it. And I think that's really, really neat. You know that they. Oh that, yeah, it's just a it's just a great service for them. You know, providing that opportunity for them to go, and then some of them fall in love with it. And they, you know, some people just are natural fishermen. They just love it. Once they're exposed to it the first time, they pick it up as a lifelong hobby, and it's something special kids can do. Or special adults, they can fish their whole life. Right. You know, they may not fish. You know, there's so many ways to enjoy the sport of fishing. You don't have to be a tournament fisherman, for goodness' sake, to to enjoy it. It's fun fishing from shore with your with your family or your friends. You know, and and it's just a great a great hobby for anybody to enjoy. So yeah, for sure, you're right. It's a great opportunity. It's great to provide that opportunity to folks that wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity. And uh, just the joy you see in those kids and the fun they have, and they they just love it. I mean, they love it. We give those award plaques that we give them. We hear their parents will send us pictures if they come to an event for several years in a row. They'll they put that award plaque on their bedroom wall, and we'll get pictures of kids where they got like seven or eight plaques from every year they've come to cast for kids right on their wall awesome. in their room. It just that's like what they're one of the things they're most proud of because they're they don't get opportunity to be celebrated very often then that's the other thing we do it's not just the fishing it's the fact that we celebrate the kids and may give them this like we're throwing a party for them it's we take them fishing and then everybody has a good time celebrating them at that award ceremony and making them feel really really special and they yeah, everybody deserves to get a standing ovation you know once in their life <laughs> and so for a lot of these kids it's the first time they get a big a big crowd cheering for them and they get to talk into a microphone and tell about their day and the fish they caught or they didn't catch or what their favorite part of the day was some of some of the kids will sing a song for us <laughs> I mean, we have my, one mom last year she said our kid he, she sent us a picture of her son he loved it so much 
at a Casper Kids event, he went home and he slept with his fishing pole in his bed. <laughs> then we gave him, he had his tackle box and his fishing rod in his bed when he went to sleep at night. So I know it means a lot to those kids, and it's just, I don't know, I just, I just love it. And it's a good way for the community to get involved with this group of kids mm-hmm. as well, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. And they're, they're really an underserved people group in most communities there aren't we find there aren't many activities designed just for special needs kids most of the time they feel like outsiders coming into a kid that or an event that's for all kids and they feel kind of on the outside and they're like people are looking at them and staring at them and they just don't really fit in but if they at a cast for kids event it's designed just for children with special needs so the kids feel right at home and it's a great way for the community to get involved. And we, we totally rely on volunteers. I mean, that's what the Cast for Kids events are all run by volunteers in the local community that come out and and uh, just give a, a few hours of their Saturday morning to make these kids' day special. And it's some of our events are boating events where we have folks with boats that bring their boat and they take the child and their family or their parent out boating and fishing and then other ba- other events are shore fishing events where they fish from shore and we have a fishing coach a volunteer that helps the kid shows them how to put a worm on the hook and cast teaches them how to cast and they help them take the fish off the hook and they just work with the kids from shore but you know how fishing is it's fun i like fishing from shore or from a boat it's all good as so. long as they tug back that's, that's all that right. matters yeah, right that's right so, and it's the shore events are kind of fun because the kids feed on the enthusiasm of then the kid next to them might have a fish on and they get all excited and so that keeps them more intent on looking at their bobber knowing that it might be the next one to go down but well, that's really cool let's uh so so i did something here let's move to something else here we uh i posted on my social media i don't know if you saw it i tagged you in it i, did I saw you put a picture of me on there yes yes you're pretty pretty picture yeah. yes yeah. i did this with mark rose too when he was on the show Oh, you had Rosie on? Good. I, I had Rose on. Yeah. He he only lives about 45 minutes from me. We've actually, within the last year, kind of really made a, a friendship. We knew each other, you know, but oh, yeah, he's great, great guy. Great, great guy. Yeah. So I'm going to run down some of these questions. If you don't want to answer them, you don't have to. But I think they're all pretty <laughs> simple. I'm trying to find it here. All right. All right, here we go. Let's just knock out my buddy John Carroll says, <laughs> Tupac or Biggie? What's that? <laughs> exactly. Those are rappers. I assume no, you're not. I'm not into rap. Yeah. He, he asked the same thing for Mark, and I think Mark had about the same answer. How many blue Yamaha hats do you have? Well, that's a good question. I've had dozens, but I'm, I think I'm down to just a small handful now, less than five. Yeah. Less than five yeah. now. How and what does it take to make it for so long and produce like you have? Oh gosh, that now I can't answer that in a one-liner. Well, you yeah. you've got all the so, time in the world. Okay. That's uh, so. There's a lot that goes into bass. Uh, any successful career, no matter what you're doing, whether you're a businessman or a doctor or a professional athlete, you know. So it's there's a com. It's a blend of things. One is you need to have a a a love and a passion for what you're doing because it takes a lot of hard work to put in over time. So and you won't put the time in to get elite at something unless you really love it and so that's important it's something you can't do something just because your parents want you to do it 
and because you if you don't love it you won't be great at it there's no way and then the other thing you know god give doles out natural ability for different things in life your gifts that he gives everybody so i and i truly believe fishermen have a gift some guy you know there's a there's a natural talent or ability for fishing that exists just like it does for any other like being a musician or an artist or a businessman or whatever a, a pitcher you know in baseball or something it's you, not everybody can throw the ball 95 100 miles an hour it's a, it's a god-given gift that you have but it so there's a gift for fishing too and some that's doled out in different mat you know proportions to different people so I've been blessed with a, a natural ability to find and catch fish and but I've also like I mentioned earlier worked really hard at at uh, perfecting my my gift and and the sharp you know honing it and that's you know when I was a youngster I used to try to envision what an Olympian would put in time and practice wise to prepare for the Olympics to try to be the world's best at a certain sport and so I I treated bass fishing like it was an Olympic sport, just trained and fished, and it's all I did, man. I was really, really, I was really serious. For years, I trained that way, and it's, uh, but the thing of it is, is, you know, for, I did a, made a 35-year career out of bass fishing, and so it's really, I could, I was not able to keep that Olympic training mentality intensity level for 35 years. I mean, I did that for like 20 years. And then, I mean, that's just, that's the, if you do it like that, that's, that's your whole life. I mean, you got nothing else that you do other than what you're training for. And so then there's so many other things in life to enjoy. You know, once my kids got to be like, you know, middle school and they started playing ball, I enjoyed like coaching softball. I was their coach for several years and and there's things in church, you know, different ministries and stuff I'd get involved with. And and then here in the last eight years, I've been involved with Cast for Kids and trying to give back and share with the less fortunate. So there's only so much time and energy to yeah, go around, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So so I, I uh, but that so that's kind of the long answer to the, your friend's question. It's it, there's a natural ability that's inherent in, in people at different levels of of talent natural talent but then you also have to work your tail off and really be focused and driven to be as good as you can be that's something and that carried me like through the first 20 years and the last 15 years I was still able to you know I didn't ever did as well the last 15 years as the first 20 years in the tournament circuit but I was I did did well still enough successful yeah still i mean successful. to keep a career going yeah yeah and i was still successful and you know and then you, the other thing about bass fishing is you need to be a good speaker and you know for the marketing side for your sponsors so i was still able to do that over th for the full 35 years you know promote and talk about products and try to sell fishing products to keep the sponsors so that you can't nobody can do the pro bass career without sponsors you got to have those endorsements otherwise you'll have years that are lean and tournament winnings and you'll just go into debt that that's one thing i've always said that the very 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 minute amount of people that could probably do it just off tournament winnings like a kevin van dam yeah don't have to like because right. they're good enough right that they have the backing and that's i think a lot of people miss that i think they think they can just go fishing and catch them oh heavens but no there's no way <laughs> no there's no way you 
We yeah, you there's there's no way you have good years. I've had some really good years, you know, where you'd you'd win a half million dollars in a year, and then you'd have other years where you you won fifty grand and you spent seventy grand. I mean, you'd be you'd going into debt where you just did, if you didn't have a sponsor, you know. So that's the sponsors are crucial to a long longevity in bass fishing as a as a professional bass fisherman you got to have this the endorsements and it's kind of a catch-22 that when you're starting out you don't have that though so it's you and it's really expensive to start now when i started Gosh. the entry fee was six hundred dollars for a, a bass master tournament when i started they've gone up a little that, since then. <laughs> they've gone up just a little but the win the win and the winnings are bigger now way bigger now than they were back then. Back then, if you won a tournament, you'd win like forty or fifty thousand, and then uh, if you finished tenth, you'd win like three thousand back then. And if you finished tenth now, you won about fifteen. But really, to get it, but you did. The, the risk wasn't as great back then because you didn't have as much outlay to, to get a career started. Nowadays, it's a, a larger risk involved. I think because it's everything's so much more expensive than it used to be. So. That's, you know, it's, I think it's maybe harder now to get started. You've really, to, the key is getting those sponsors. If you can get the sponsors, you can do it. And, you know, you, but it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get the sponsors without the success in the tournaments. Just for somebody maybe watching that, that doesn't know the numbers as much. An elite entry is 5,000. Is that what they are? That's right. And there's how many? Nine. Nine elites. So 45,000 mm -hmm. plus your travel. Just your general, not not coming from, yeah, from <laughs> West there, Coast, yeah. but you know your general, somebody in the South, you know <clears throat> Central. What what on a general year do you think, just the expenses to fish for a year are? Well, the I I kept pretty good track of them over the years, so it's about fifteen hundred a tournament is what it would cost for gas, lodging, food, tackle, all that. So that's you know you'd spend about fifteen to fish nine tournaments you're right at you know fourteen thousand for your travel expenses and you've got your boat and your truck and then you've got your insurance on all that and and uh and all your equipment you know i mean if you have to buy you know if you're having to buy your all your graphs and your electronics and your power poles and all that i mean all that that stuff is a, that that's a lot of money too yes. each year so i um, you got to add all that up. The cost of a boat, you know, a fully rigged bass boat now retail, it's hard to get into one for less than seventy. Or that's the kind of they start there. That, yeah, that's the bottom line. Yeah, for, for the normal twenty foot or above boat with a two fifty. Mm -hmm. Then you have to have a tow vehicle. So, so you're yeah you're going to spend you know fishing the elite series entry fees are forty five, travel expenses are fifteen, so that's sixty, and then you've got your your boat, truck, and all your tackle that you have and, and then your you know your insurance and different things so you're you're yeah you're up there it's pushing a hundred grand or if you you know a lot of the guys that have done it for a while they get good deals on their their boats anyway some of the and so you're but you're if you're having to buy all that stuff at retail you're way over a hundred grand a year mm -hmm. but if, if you're just if you say you leave the equipment part out of it, you're still at 70 yeah, on a oh, nine, yeah. Yeah. nine tournament season, yeah. roughly. Yeah, I mean we're six tournaments at five thousand. Is what the MPFL is, and I, I guess mine are roughly fifty two to fifty four, mm -hmm. somewhere we're at with travel for the year. Now I take That's my right. my girls go with me, my wife, and my two girls. So 
we don't room or we're not going to this year with anybody. So that that gets a little more expensive mm-hmm. on the housing, but but yeah. So so I'm going to ask you these questions because you're retired now. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Because somebody that's not <laughs> would never answer them. Um, what what does not a guy just starting? But what's what's the goal for a sponsorship for for your total sponsorship? Is it to break even and make money catching fish? Is it to make money before you leave the house? Well, you're. I mean, your goal is to get as much sponsorship as you can, really, as long as it doesn't take too much of your time. A lot of those sponsorships, they, they a certain day allotment goes with them. Like I remember, I think with you know several of my bigger sponsors, we they we'd have like eight free days or so built in where you'd have to work shows for right. you know. So those add up. If you have five of those at eight days apiece, that's forty that's days lot, too. Right. So you. You have to factor factor that part of it in as well, but yeah, if you're, it's, uh, I mean, if you can make a hundred grand from sponsors, you're doing really well. There's there's just a handful of guys that, you know, you can't you can't look at the the top cream of the crop like the one percent. You can't look at those guys because that's that's maybe you'll get there one day, but you can't plan on on that on that sort of sponsorship level. So you're. Um, yeah, if a hundred grand is good, if you can get all that and then it's kind of one, you know, it goes up from there and there's, uh, there's no telling what the sponsorship of the very top guys are, but that's, that's what you need. Cause it, you just, we just did the math. If you're, if your expenses are 70 grand a year that your average winnings, you know, in nine tournaments might be like the average, if you might have a good year, but you're probably average, you know, 60 grand, maybe something like that. So if you're spending seventy and you're gonna win, or and you you win sixty grand, well you're still in the hole, or you're about break even. Right. So that's where you you really, if you can, I always figured if my travel, if all my expenses, if I could win enough money to cover all my expenses for the year, then your real income is from your sponsors. So that's kind of how it is. I mean it's, and over thirty five years, I know you know the. It's of course the average winnings now aren't really comparable to average winnings in 1994 because the purses are so different, mm. but still the sponsorships were less than two and your expenses were way le- way less. But yeah, that's a good way to figure it. If you can if you can win enough to cover all your expenses and then your income comes from your endorsements, and then that's 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 where you and then you have a good year every now and then and. And uh, you'll win, a, you'll win a tournament or win a bunch of money, then you're pretty good for a while, or hopefully try to save some of that. That, and I think that's what a lot of people that that don't do it don't see, because they see big money, big payouts. Oh, he won a hundred. I'm sure he's getting a free truck and boat. And I mean, it doesn't go like that. Not, not for oh, many. No. Not, no. you know, it and, takes a while. To, it takes more than just winning one tournament to get big sponsor endorsements. Yes. Yeah. And it, that I had a couple of people say something, so I, I struggled over the fall really really bad i lost my title sponsor which for those that don't know that's that's the big one that's mm-hmm. the one that makes or breaks your season lost my title sponsor uh for no ill reasons at all they just they went a different oh, direction yeah, that stuff happens and and i knew it was a one-year deal and i thought it might be that that case and you know i didn't know till mid-january that i was even fishing this year i mean that's i, I knew in say october that i probably didn't have that sponsor but it took me till January to ever round up enough, you know, to, to even because I can't, I can't do it out of my pocket. I have to know that, you know, that's like 
my girls come first and right. I can't put my family in jeopardy. And I, but I had people, you know, somebody would say, what are you fishing next year? And I'd say, well, I don't know that I'm fishing other than local team tournaments. I mean, I just, it is what it is. I, I said when I started this, that wasn't happening unless it financially worked, you know? And, and a couple of them were like, well, you won the Toyota series. Well, I won $40,000. That sounds like a lot of money, but I was 20 in out of my pocket on expenses, <laughs> right. you know? So all of a sudden you cut that in half and, you know, $20,000 yeah. for a year is not a lot of income, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think, I think people really miss the boat on that, except for the guys doing it. They don't, you see so much on social media talking about, well, he does that because it's free boat, you know, whatever. I think there's a lot of that. Are, people there, don't get it. There aren't many guys that get a free boat and it gets smaller every year. Yeah, I would think. The guys that have made the classic every year for, 10 years stuff like that they might get a free boat right but but they're still working that's oh, the yeah. other thing it's not just a given i mean it, they're whatever it is they're however they're doing it they're still earning that through you know it's a job just oh, like yeah. anybody else's job you just sometimes you're paying yeah it's a boat not a you know a check that's true yeah so that's that still doesn't help your cash flow right when, but it's not until the, you sell it at the end of the year, right? But still, you got it, bills to pay throughout the year and that, all. But that's yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, it's a that's the key to anybody. Everybody has to figure that part of it out because you can't make it fishing full time without endorsements. Or maybe there's a lot of guys though, Hunter, that have they have other careers and they they just tournament fish because they love it and they. Right they've done really well in business and they they have a they have their real job and then they fish for fun and those guys they're you know there's a lot of not as a, not on the mlf or bass circuit there's nobody really like that they're we not, we have a lot in the npfl because okay NPFL, it was kind of yeah. tagged as a working man's league but yeah there's, that and the toyota series yes. and the bass opens i mean half of all those guys they have another job that they do and and uh and they're you know that's that helps them out financially and and that's all a a want to and priorities like do you want to work for sponsors and do this full time or do you want to make the money you're making and do this fishing gig on and that that all comes down to personal preference too yeah and there's a lot of ways to enjoy the sport of professional bass fishing you don't have to not everybody's going to be a a van dam right right there's a lot of guys that that have they have a job that's a fishing industry job and they fish tournaments and they use that as, you know, to promote their, their, the stuff work. they make. Yeah, right. Pro- right. Yeah. And then there's other folks that, you know, they're, they have jobs outside of the industry that fish just cause they love it. And they, you know, then that's, that's great too. Those guys are not the, usually they're the ones that really help support the whole sport or the guys that really love it, that, fish is a hobby i mean we wouldn't right. be able to do what we do without folks like that getting involved with it that's i've got a buddy that does well for himself and he said i would rather spend the time making money at work and fishing in between yeah then try to you know actively hunt sponsors all the time yeah so. and that's yeah so and that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with no that. not at all <laughs> not, not at all not, not if at you all. can line that up yeah good, you know yeah for sure all right we'll get back to our questions here i got sidetracked all right well that's good Oh, no. Those are all. That's good conversation. I bet a lot of the listeners are curious about that. That this is stuff you know that that I always wanted to know. And it's so hard. Like I've been in a tournament game for twenty years. I've done it at a national level for this is my third year. And there's so many. And you know, there's a lot of guys touring 
from Arkansas, and I know most of them. Mm-hmm. And I've tried, but you know, most of them. It's it's the most secretive thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, where they don't about in- well, endorsements. Yeah, and not not even asking exactly how much, but like what you know, what do I what does the title look like? What you know, mm-hmm. and everybody has their own thing in their own way, and it all fits. And it's it's a hard thing to learn. So, I like bringing it up right. when I can. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, let's see here. What is the biggest surprise in the bass fishing world that you have seen? Oh, probably the, these all the live scopes, electronics, <laughs> the, forward-facing sonar. This is the big technology's always played a big role in bass fishing. I remember, you know, the old paper graphs when they came out back in the like the, the late '80s, early '90s. The, the X6, the Lorentz X16. We used to put rolls of paper in there, and it would draw a chart and fish, show fish on there for you. But yeah, then GPS came along, and that really changed things in a in a very beneficial, positive way. You wouldn't get lost in the fog anymore, and and you could you could find your spot again. You could find your spot, and uh, I remember idling back in the day before GPS, and all, uh, and just idling with a flasher, and learning where creek channels and where they went and lining it up with that tree in that corner of that house and all that stuff you know that's how me and all the guys that started back in the 80s learned how to fish offshore but now with this forward-facing sonar that's a whole nother realm that it is and it's it's really a huge deal i mean it's a very productive tool in in a lot of situations not everyone but i mean just look at okeechobee Tyler won that tournament, you know, live scoping them in a in the river, which no one shouldn't have, have been a. Th- I mean, it no, should have been a punching or a yeah, those, chatterbait well, those, deal. Those fish have been probably the rivers always held a lot of bass, the Kissimmee River. But before live scope, no one could ever, you know, really figure out how to win out of there when the lake was full. Anyway, when the lake was real low and there was sometimes that would fish really good, but there wouldn't be any hardly any grass in the lake. But but yeah, so it's a new frontier for sure and it's it's been a big surprise how effective that is and how it's you you know and the great lakes for smallmouth it's just a huge deal and just everywhere it you've got to have it i mean oh yeah to compete you've yeah you and you and the young the young guys are really good at at incorporating that into their arsenal of strategy techniques and expertise whereas people in my generation are a little harder to adapt just because we learned how to find fish by a different method and so it's really hard to give up on how you fish for 20 30 years and go a different route when you're when you're behind the the curve and learning that new stuff and you're you know then you're going to be playing second fiddle to the young guys that are fluent in using the technology at such a early age so it's it's hard. I, I, I never really, and I know a lot of the guys in my generation, they never, we, we all have it on our boat. We all use it and it's all, it's helped all of us catch more fish, but we haven't been like a Patrick Walters, you know, who just follows a single fish around. With yeah. Him. I mean, he won that tournament at Lake Fork. I remember a couple of years ago in the fall catching him. He could see him in the standing timber with, and catch him on a jerk bait. And I, I was fishing up the river, you know, throwing a, a chatterbait under docks and stuff and, and just fishing visual brush piles and all that. And 
old school, which that probably I fin- remember finishing third in that, but I was like light years behind Patrick, who caught a hundred pounds. <laughs> Back in the you know the nineties, I probably would have won that tournament, you know, right. the, the way I was fishing. But there's there's a new and better way to catch them now, uh, down the lake with the live scope. And and it helps. Like I'm a Arkansas River guy. I'm a shallow current driven. That's what I like. I've hated fishing brush piles, like always, just because mm-hmm. you pull up. I miss it about three times, you know, make three throws, miss it, and I'm mad, and I'm like, oh, whatever, I'm going back to flip a lay down. You know, now I like fishing brush piles. I mean, and that's – it just changes. It takes someone and gives them a whole other skill set they didn't have, you know, a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Because I know when I see my bait fall into a pile, it's just like flipping, right? I mean, it's just like flipping that lay down, mm-hmm. but now you're doing it deeper, but you're still seeing the same you thing. You can still see it. Right. Yeah, that's that's – it's a new frontier. So that's to answer your guys that your friend's question there. That's probably the biggest surprise that I've seen in fishing. Now, who would have ever thought that we'd have technology like that today? And then then you look forward 10, 20 years. What's next? There's going to be something that's even better that comes. They're along. working on it. I guarantee you right now. Oh, yeah. It's already probably a thing. <laughs> yeah. We just don't know we it yet. We don't know it yet. They're playing around. Yeah. And that's what, right. Uh, let's see. Of all places you get to fish. Of all the baits you own, all the rods and reels, what is the one thing that you have on you at all times as far as equipment or baits? The one thing you have to have rather than use whether you use it or not. Oh gosh, well there's you gotta have as far as equipment goes, you've gotta have you know, a spinning rod, you've gotta have a flipping stick, and you've gotta have a rod to throw like a chatter bait or spinner bait or a square bill or you know crank baits on so you need those three the, and then there's times you're drop shotting or shaky head fishing and you got it so but you could pretty much we, that'd be like asking a pro golfer if you only had three clubs <laughs> what's three Which would you be a driver a putter and a seven iron or something like that but but you know what i'm saying that would cover the basics of it right. then as far as baits go that a lot of that's that you know you you got to have your soft plastics because that's a bait you can catch them with any day of the year like a senko or a, a worm you, you know that those are baits that you're going to catch some fish on 365 days of the year whereas i you know spinner baits top water jigs i love i would much rather fish those than a soft plastic but they don't bite those every day so so uh, you know a bait like a Senko is so versatile, or a, or a seven-inch worm, you could Carolina rig it, Texas rig it, drop shot it, fish it weightless, wacky rig it. Do anything with you, it. Yeah, so those, yeah, just a good all-around bait. Favorite jig? Oh. It doesn't necessarily have to be a brand, just what? Yeah, they, you know, I always like the flipping jig, and I probably, uh, the one I caught the most on in my career would be like maybe like a half ounce and i like the brown kind of a brownish skirt it was with maybe a few strands of black mostly brown then a few strands of pumpkin in it and uh that brown basically a like a light lighter brown jig not a dark living rubber you know like brown in the living rubber is like a real dark brown right but in the silicone, a brown, you can a little bit lighter shade of brown, but a that little, little more towards pumpkin almost than brown, just a hair, just yeah, a just lighter. A, yeah, yeah, that with a green pumpkin craw trailer, that I I caught more bass on that than anything. And that, anytime that it was middle of the day or the sun was out, that was always my go-to. 
black and black and blue would be a second then black with black jigs are really good like up north you fish black all day long and across all the northern states and in the south at like early in the morning or on a rainy day or if the water's real muddy black would be good but i could i could go anywhere with those two color jigs and catch catch bass if they were going to bite a jig good answer but yeah you probably agree with that you're like yes i fishing too i mean it's it's a lot of fun there's nothing better than a good jig bite and it's just a yeah there's a lot of great jigs on the market now i mean i i designed a jig for berkeley years ago that i won the classic with so they don't make it anymore but that was probably my favorite one i still have a bunch of them but it was that there's nowadays there's all kind of good jigs strike king makes a good one dirty jigs makes a good one there's all kind of i mean there's it's there's, there's a million there's of 20 them. or 30 good ones now on the market yeah right mm-hmm. you ever miss living in east texas i do miss east texas i i still have so many f- great friends in east texas i've been in east texas for the last few days i last friday night i got to speak at the fishers of men tournament meeting at sam rayburn lake and just you know i lived in east texas for all 17 years so i got a lot of great friends wonderful people and i love coming back we we uh, would come back and fish fork the last four years in a row with on the elite series so it was fun to come through and i'd come to get my boats at skeeter and i i'm seems like i'm always traveling through we, we have a cast for kids fundraiser in lufkin um, we had that last fall and we have one in waco too but that's central really central texas not east texas but in some of the best bass fishing too between rayburn and toledo and fork and then all the other smaller lakes that people don't from killer killer fishing there's great lakes all over east texas that people that don't live in east texas aren't aware of like palestine and you know um lake of the pines places like that cedar creek tawakany there's there's Ray, so Ray Roberts, many. yeah. I mean, there's so many good lakes, even little lakes like Lake Tyler. I used to live in Tyler, and a friend of mine caught a 15 pounder out of there two years ago. So, wow. I mean, you know, just Lake Athens is a good one, but yeah, there's great fishing in East Texas. It's, I think, it's as good as anywhere in the country for bass fishing. The OH Ivy is probably the hottest lake in Texas, oh, but yeah. it's it's not in East Texas, it's west, isn't it? Isn't that correct? Yeah, kind of west, Texas? central, south, down in there. Yeah, that, that brings us to the next question. What's your favorite lake? Oh wow, my favorite. Well, for for uh, largemouth, it would be Sam Rayburn, just because I lived there for so long and it has a special place in my heart. And and then for smallmouth, it would be the um, St. Lawrence River. That place is that's a bucket list for me. That is, you, everybody that loves bass fishing should go to the St. Lawrence River and go smallmouth fishing sometime just go up there and hire a guide or take a time and drive up there because it's it's unbelievable how many and they're big you, like out home at home on the columbia river we can catch as many smallmouth as we can on the great lakes but they're not as big our fish are average you know two and a half pounds probably and guys catch limits in the low 20s but on the great lakes it's just it's you'll catch about you know you don't catch just 100 fish a day like you can some places but you can <clears throat> they catch you know you, there's all the average fish is like three and a half pounds which is crazy yeah yeah if you've got 17 you're like you're at the oh. bottom <coughs> that's no good yeah. in a tournament <laughs> 17 pounds on so yeah 
that's no good at all. It's so, been so fun to see that come on. I, we used to go back and fish the St. Lawrence River in the 90s with bass. Really? Yeah, when I, uh, the Invitationals, we would go there and had lots of tournaments there. I mean, my, one of my first bass tournaments was on the St. Lawrence in 1989. And it was, uh, it was predominantly largemouth fishing then. They would mostly win tournaments with largemouth. But the smallmouth weren't as big. The guys would catch like like 16 pounds was a huge bag of no one ever heard of a bag on smallmouth over 16 pounds back then but that was before the gobies and the zebra right. mussels got in there and so the food the 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 food amount of food available for the smallmouth has just grown exponentially and that's why there's so many b- big smallies now and the, the largemouth fishing is really good too right it's it just good. doesn't yep. compare to the smallmouth yeah but. there's just not i mean there's probably like 20 to 1 smallmouth over largemouth numbers wise but there's there's some good good ones guys will catch 20 pounds of largemouth up there that's what i think a lot of people miss on the northern lakes i didn't know it till you know a couple years ago when i went north it like yeah there's smallmouth wind but my gosh there's some good yeah. largemouth fishing on all the northern lakes and they don't much. people they don't get much pressure no no there. they're pretty dumb <laughs> they're very dumb and they haven't been caught a hundred times yes what goals do, do you have every time you get on a lake to fish? That probably has changed now. Yeah, the goals, well, now I fish for fun now that right. I'm retired. But my, the main, it, I assume he's asking, you know, what, what your, how do you locate fish? Just what do you, what do you want, is your, when you were fishing tournaments, I may, this may not be what he's asking, but I'm going to ask it. Do you like what did you want to accomplish? Was it a top ten? Was it a check? Was it a win? Oh, in my turn, yeah. Your goals. Yeah, I, my goal would be to do the best that I possibly could do, you know, and to I trying. I learned a long time ago if you go out and try to just fish for biggins to try to win, you can really bomb out a lot doing that. And so my goal was to just what was to to be consistent to catch. A, a good bag every day and then hopefully you know in these multi-day tournaments it'd be three or four days long if you go back and look at, uh, at almost every tournament the winner will have one or two really big days and then two average days and and so you you know every day you're not gonna catch 29 pounds you know you right and uh well like that kid that won the tournament just last weekend so typical i think he had like 20 22 29 14 and 18 right you know so if he caught 14 pounds the first day he'd have been in like last place but yes, I mean, but, yes. but over a four-day tournament my it um you're not going to catch a bag in the mid-20s every day unless you're lee Livesey at lake fork <laughs> <laughs> and that that does happen but most of the time it doesn't so you're trying to get in an area that's got the potential for a really big bag and then knowing that you're you got to be okay with catching 17 18 pounds if you can you know it depends on the fishery you're at but just assume you're at okeechobee but then the, with the potential to catch several big ones and you're fishing a pattern that is conducive to catching six pounders or a seven pounder to to get you a few of those big bites each day because that's really what it what it takes so you've got to have a, a technique or a type of area that holds big fish or that could catch big fish and you if you're fishing that way that's all you that's that's all you can do and then you just go out and fish it for four days and hopefully you get some of those big bites but you can if you swing for the fence 
you're, you'll strike out a lot. Right. Yeah. You, you see that. I mean, I know guys, you see it more locally than you do at a, you know, a high level, but guys that they're either going to win or be right there or they're just going to chunk them and go to the house. I mean, yeah. you, you, the guys that fish like that, you see them win more than the average guy, but you also see them go home. Yeah, you know, and that was, and there's nothing wrong with perf- no that because there's guys that like Danny Brower always fished like that. He didn't care if he made a check; he was there to win the tournament, and he just pre- pretty much fished jig the whole time. And if they bit it, then he might win. But it, if they didn't bite it, he was fine with that. He'd go on to the next one, right? And but that and that he had a better career than I had. So my approach was different. Mine was just trying to be consistent and and weigh a good solid limit every day knowing that sooner or later your day is going to come you're going to get some big ones but you're going to be you'll make the classic every year or whatever championship you're fishing and really that's what i my goal was was to be consistent so i could make the year-end championship last question how did it feel when the good lord showed up instantly hold on how it felt when the good lord showed up instantly when he caught the big fish on day two of his o2 classic (laughs) <laughs> that's the most dramatic fish I've ever caught. So there's a a fan that remembers that story. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I'll be completely I'll honest. I'm yeah. not. So that's 20 years ago. So right. I mean, how old were you 20 years ago? About 10 uh, or so? 16. 16, So I, yeah. I was starting to get into the bass fishing, but not right, really. Yeah. Right. So that. So this is, yeah, we'll rewind it all the way back 20 years to the O2 Classic. We're at Lay Lake, Alabama. And the first day of the tournament, I was leading the, t- the event. And so the second day, naturally, I've got a big flotilla of spectators, and I've got a live ESPN camera in, on the back deck of my Skeeter boat, and we're up there. I'm fishing in the tail race right below Logan Martin Dam. And so I had, I don't know, 40 or 50 spectator boats. And you're in a river. I mean, it's, you know, you couldn't cast across it. It's the Coosa River. It's pretty 100 yards across man not 100 but maybe 50 to 80 yards across it's not big it's It's not big so all these people or spectators are spread out across the river and there's a there were some local fishermen in a pontoon boat they were just they weren't they didn't care nothing about the classic they were just out there fishing and they were drifting with with the current and fishing and drifting down river and then eventually their drift got blocked by all the spectators so i don't know if it upset them or what but they started their pontoon boat and they fired it up and they came running right at me and i'm up against the bank pitching a jig in the trees and they come right like uh, i could have reached out and touched them with my rod i do know this i do know this yeah yeah so right at the last minute they turn off and they and they run right up the bank i'm getting ready to to fish and it's like four or five feet deep you know so it's I've never seen anything like that. Still haven't to this day. So it was, it was the most unsportsmanlike thing I'd ever seen. And and it would be, you know, be like a golfer lining up a putt in the Masters, and he's leading the tournament. Some guy in a golf cart come driving across the green right between the ball and the cup. You know, put big divots in the turf. And I remember I kind of kept my composure somehow. And I looked, I turned around, looked at the camera guy, and I said, it would it would take an act of God for me to catch one right now and i just was shaking my head and look when watching this guy he's running up the bank and i pitched my jig out there very next cast after i said those words and i got a bite i reeled down i set the hook i got one 
I thought it was a miracle to catch anything right then, but it wasn't just any old fish. It turned out to be the biggest fish of the whole classic, like the seven pounder. No kidding. Yeah, I run the cast right after I looked into the TV camera and said, <laughs> said it would take an act of God to catch one right then. And so I landed that fish and went on to win the tournament. And Did there, that fish win the tournament? Was that the difference? That No, that ended up not. I ended up winning by like seven or eight pounds. I oh, can't wow. remember exactly. But every tournament after that, when I'd pitch my jig out under my breath, I'd be saying to myself, it would take an act of God <laughs> to catch one now. <laughs> And it never happened again quite like that, but it was that's how it won. So it's easy to give God the glory when stuff like that goes down, you know. Yes, absolutely. But that's, that was pretty. That was pretty dramatic. I, I remember that. I've seen that, but I didn't. I don't guess I realized that was during a classic. But I have. Mm-hmm. I've seen that video before. That's yeah, that's that crazy. was amazing. You know, normally when I end this thing, I always ask somebody your your most favorite fish catch and your worst. But I, I would venture that's to say favorite. that's your favorite yeah. for sure. Yeah, that would be my favorite for sure. What What's one that maybe haunts you or you think about? Is there one that – Well, I can think one right off the top of my head. We were at, at Lake Fork once in a big tournament, and I was fishing a a Strike King King Shad. I don't even know if they make them anymore. I don't know if they do. It, know you know what, know what I'm talking about? about? Yeah. yeah, so – and uh, I had uh, – replaced the treble hooks and put treble hooks on and i i can't remember um if i i think i replaced the split rings too anyway i hooked the biggest fish that i've ever hooked in my life it was i came up near the boat i saw it and it was you know it was a teenager <laughs> and it took off and i lost it and i reeled in and the strip the split ring had straightened out and and he pulled the split ring off the plug and i was like and my line didn't even break i was only like 14 pound line and Golly. i i didn't even break my line i had my plug came in and the, the hook's gone and the split ring's gone and I, I that's the only time in 35 years that i ever had a fish pull a split ring off loose off right. the bait so that was a heartbreaker i'd love to have that one back it was the biggest bass i've ever hooked that that it was in a tournament right yeah probably i would say if it's in the teens it'd probably still be a, a record Bassmaster fish. I th- yeah. I don't know what the elite or the um, bass record is, but I think a guy named Mark Tyler at the California Delta caught a fourteen pounder, and years ago, and I remember Mark Menendez caught a thirteen pounder in a in a Bassmaster at Richland Chambers in Texas. But I I may be overlooking that. There may have been one bigger, but I can't remember one over fourteen being caught in a Bassmaster right. tournament. So that may still be the record. Wow. Jay, what's uh, what's the earliest memory you have of fishing? Not not tournaments, just in general fishing. Well, I, I remember my grandparents, both my grandfathers, taking me fishing when I was just a little tyke. And I remember my my maternal grandfather took me on a charter boat. We went out in the ocean off the west coast in Oregon fishing for salmon. And then my my dad's dad, he would they had a lake house on off of lake ontario up in new york and i remember walking down on the dock with him and he taught me how to throw a jitterbug out and and i was reeling that jitterbug in real slow and like a two pound bass came up and grabbed it and i was like four or five years old and i i fought that i landed that bass and so the first bass i ever caught was on a topwater bait with Mm. my grandfather and and uh the time we went salmon fishing we didn't catch any fish but that i remember that bass and that so that that kind of lit the fire in me catching a 
because that's so i mean i still to this day top water is probably my favorite way to catch bass i mean they're one of the few fish that'll bite a top water bait and that that kind of got me going and and uh opened up a whole new world of bass fishing to me which you just you your whole life you never get you never stop learning you know there's right. always something new to learn or a new place to go fish that you've never fished and no two days are ever the same and so that as a youngster that i remember that inspiring me to get involved with it and, and get more in, into bass fishing and that became my favorite type of fish to chase and and it was yeah so it began a lifelong love affair with with fishing i still love it to this day you know no matter when i have a free day i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go catch some fish somewhere some type of fish and i like i enjoy fishing for you know different species even now i don't when not, i like catching steelhead and salmon and i like going out in the ocean and and uh but the small mouth large mouth still the best and it's something that i've you know i know i can do it a lot there a lot more years so i'm excited to, to be able to go and and uh you never get tired of getting that bite setting that hook and it, right. it just never gets old hunter <laughs> especially when it's on top right yeah especially when it's a top water bait for sure so that but that was pretty cool memory as a kid catching that first one on a top water bait that's and, neat yeah i'll never i can still i can still see it i was threw out to the left side of the dock kind of parallel with shore and i was reeling that top you know a jitterbug oh absolutely i've got kinda, a couple do you yeah yes. probably a lot of the young guys listening might not even know what a jitterbug is but that was this was back in like 1970 really so i mean that was one that was the top water bait that was right. the deal back then was the jitterbug and the hula popper remember the hula popper i do i've got actually it's really cool my, my great-grandpa when he passed away i got his old tackle box i've got i don't obviously carry them and fish with them but i've got a lot of those old baits some i don't even know what the names of them are that, mm. in my shop that's it's really neat to have it's cool that old hula popper the old guy that was my fishing mentor taught me how to fish he was really good with that he'd throw it out and let the ripples calm down and he he hit it three times pop 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 and then he let it sit pop 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 and then he that he always outfished me fishing it like that i would try all kinds of different cadences <laughs> and it was it was that's a fun bait though the old yeah that's how we all started with those two top water baits way back then nowadays there's all kind of new baits and nice there's a new one every day it seems like. yeah all the time yes so um what jay what how much you're you're a man of god we know that you've made that publicly you know aware for your whole career you said a minute ago you're telling us about the the story of the fish at the Bassmasters. how much has your relationship with god your walk with god played into your career oh it's been huge hunter it's it's uh we talked earlier about how I believe God doles out, you know, a, a gift of having a natural ability for fishing or a, a talent for fishing. And some people have different measures of that gift. And I think so that's where it all starts. But it what my career never really took off till I fully surrendered my career to the Lord. I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and got saved. I got saved in 1993. And kind of turned my whole career over to him at that time and and uh and and started trying to use fishing for god's glory and every time i do well you know he'd get the glory and every time i did bad he'd still get the glory it didn't matter it just he's 
and but but I surrendered by surrendering my career to him. I think it just that allowed for his will to for me to take place in my career, and it just happened that you know he had, he had a lot of favor. I had on my fishing and I was blessed in a lot of ways. I mean, I didn't win a lot of tournaments, but I won some big ones and won some angler of the years. And I think I won like five tournaments on my career with bass, but still it's not all about that. It's, it's not about the wins. It's really about, about the life and just so sowing into other people's lives. And so God, when he changes you, you know, from the inside and he makes you, he, he makes you have a different perspective on life because all of a sudden things just aren't all about you. It's about using your gifts to be a blessing to other people. And so that's where I really, really, uh, I tried to tune into how God wanted to use me to serve other people in my career. So I, I've, I've had, after I won that classic, I had like, I don't know, pro- over a hundred opportunities to speak at wild game dinners and different churches. And then I've had, um, you know, I wrote a book, an autobiography. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. I, I should get you a copy. It, it was published 20 years ago in 2003, but the book was very evangelical. It basically wasn't about how to catch fish. It was just an autobiography. It was my life story and how when I got saved and, and how I, God wanted to, uh, how he worked through my fishing career through 2003. So, and it was, that book was incredible. I I could go on and on and tell you stories about all the testimonies from people that read it that it was a shared that it was a blessing to them that I know God used that and when we, we could talk we could go down that rabbit trail right now if you wanted to but I don't know how much time we have but it but suffice to say you know he he made um, he made a way for me to he gave me a platform to share the love of Christ with with bass fishermen across the globe but especially in america and, and what a platform because it's oh, so yeah. much bigger if you had a whatever if you'd have worked a, an office job would you, you'd have never had i mean who's to say you wouldn't have but your chances of having the reach that you had on stage true is, is huge and that's uh, you talk about wild game suppers i spoke at one friday night and you know i was telling them like man there was a time in my life and, and my fishing career that kind of came together i've been a christian since i was little but that I had basically realized that if, if it says in the Bible, if you put God first in everything you do, then your cup is overflowing. Mm-hmm. And that and I realized that and when I put God first, that's when my fishing really took off. And that's I mean, it's that it's so true, you know, and that's what I tell people with this win last fall, like it was it wasn't I mean, it was a Toyota series, it wasn't an elite series, but or a classic, but it was still a pretty big deal. And how cool is it to say the only reason to do with no feet won a tournament you know and, and oh, yeah. four fingers or whatever it's because of god and i got this you know be on the stage holding the trophy if or mlf live you know to, to however many people across the world watching it you know I've, and telling my story that god you know god is good I've, god. I've seen it happen too many times for it to be coincidence right. for for guys once they surrender their fishing career to the lord that he'll use it for his glory and he's done that with both of us and yes. Mark Rose and Mark Davis and a bunch of other, bunch I mean, of. a bunch of other fishermen. And it's just so cool to, to be a part of that. And it's, I think it speaks to the life that he, you know, the Bible talks about how those that are, that believe that Jesus Christ, they believe in him, that they'll have eternal life. 
But in eternal life is most, it's heaven for sure. But when does eternal life begin? And it, it begins the day you get saved and surrender your life to the Lord. And that's that is life. That's that's the best that life can get is when God uses you to be a blessing to other people. And so once you surrender your career to Him in fishing, then He'll use it to be a blessing to other people. And that may include, you know, winning a big tournament. It may not include that but he will use you to share the good news of his love for people with other people and to be a blessing to them and so that's i've seen that for sure and and he's also there with you in the hard times too because it's not you know it's not all mountaintop experiences there's a lot of hardships that go on people get sick they have accidents and life can be really hard but god's right there with you for the believer he's right there with you the whole time bringing bringing you peace his his peace his joy filling you with his holy spirit and you you can make it through the lowest of times as well so he's right there with you through the thick and thin good times and bad times so that that's anyway you were asking me about how he played in a role in fishing and that's that's a big a big thing is the platform that he gives to he's given both of us really and that's that's been great and and then there's, you know, I, for me, it continued on through with Cast for Kids, too, because it, that is a way to use fishing to be a blessing to the less fortunate special needs kids. And it's, that's been huge. I, I really feel like that's, that's why it was easy for me to retire from tournaments, because it's like the next chapter that God has for me is to running Cast for Kids and having that grow. And he, he, lo- I know God loves that. It's just such a blessing when you can serve the less fortunate and provide them with a and a wonderful opportunity and so that's he's still using me even to this day and it's just life changes as time goes by it's as you know for for a while it was in tournament fishing and now it's like this ministry to you still in fishing but it's a different a different style of of uh, ministry instead of i don't dare speak near as much at wild game dinners and church events as i used to but i, I still do some of that and I did a spoke at a fishers of men event last friday at rayburn but but now it's more uh, serving these kids and i just love doing that and and the point is it's whatever is god's will if you stay right in the center of god's will for your life you're gonna you're gonna be blessed you're gonna live your best life when you're doing it that way and he's so good i mean god's so good he loves us so much and he has only our best interest in mind and he's right there with us through the thick and thin that's right that's awesome yeah it's it's so cool to see you know likewise like-minded people that that see that that see gosh i mean dreams you didn't really know you had he can fulfill when you put oh yeah there's no telling what he you know he can do he is the god of everything he created us created the whole the whole universe and so he you know he he can take you places that you've never dreamt that you'll ever be i you know and that's i never dreamt that i'd have such a successful fishing career or never and i also never dreamt that i'd be one day running a big charity fishing charity for special needs kids but god knew way back when right that was his plan the whole time so just walking in his will and his plan for your life is the key if you're if you stay right there you're going to be living your best life all right, we're going to close it out. Let's do it. We got to know. 
Are we going to see Jay come back in five years to the tournament <laughs> scene, or are you done, done? That, well, I'll just say if it's God's plan, I'll do it. <laughs> but I, but I, it's going to have to be his? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not on my radar right now, but you never know. Things change. So, right. But I, I'm real happy, content where I'm at. So we'll just keep down the path I'm on right now. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for coming. You bet, Hunter. Tell everybody where to find the Cast for Kids information. Yeah, so we, our website is castforkids.org. Or you can just do a Google search of special needs fishing um, or, or go to our website, Cast for Kids. We have a Facebook page, too, that we, and an Instagram page. And we're all the time making daily posts of pictures of these awesome kids at our events catching fish and having fun. And uh, we have uh, events all over the country. We'll have um, close to 100 events this year from coast to coast. We have more events in Texas than any other state. But I think we're going to have a half a dozen or so in Arkansas. And we have several in California and Florida and New York, just everywhere. So we have an, a, on our website, we have a national map that has a little dot or an icon where all of our events are. And you can also search by state um, where, where our events are at. So if you're watching and you know a special needs child that would like to come out for a super fun free day of fishing just you can register online for any event that you'd like to that's near you um, and or if you'd like to come out and volunteer the volunteers are the ones that make these events happen and so we we totally depend on volunteers to come out and bless these kids so you can register online for as a shore volunteer or a boat captain at an event near you also thank you very much right. thank you all for watching make sure you check out Hunter Bogman Fishing on all the socials, uh, stick five rods on all the socials, and uh, we'll see you at the next one.